0: Hello, podcast listeners. This is Kobe from the Common Thread Podcast. We are here with what I would consider a very fun episode today. We wanted to break down the Oscar nominees for you this weekend. So uh, we've got a roundtable discussion. We thought that this format would be a a little bit more conducive to the type of discussion that we want to have. So we've got four team members here, myself included, as well as Lucas, Varsha, and Elliot. And we've also got two guests, Annalise Lamberty, who is a BU film major. Uh, She's currently in production for a short film that she's making. And uh, we've got an actor from Emerson. His name is Elliot Masters. Now, you might notice that there are two Elliots on this roundtable. You can distinguish them because, one, the Elliot from our Common Thread podcast team has a British accent. That said, uh, let's get going uh, with this roundtable here and kick it off with... Uh, what everyone thought was their favorite picture, not what is most likely to win, but their favorite picture uh, and why perhaps they uh, thought that that picture uh, was the most striking to them. Uh, I'd have to say Fences is my favorite of the year. On what account?
1: Uh, well, I think um, the transfer from stage to screen, I, I mean, I, well, you and I have talked about this in the right. past, our deep love of films that really don't feel like films. Right. Uh, Yeah, and I think uh, it was pretty incredible that uh, Denzel Washington managed to direct and act in this thing uh, and do it so superbly, Um, and of course, you know, you really can't go wrong with Viola Davis. So
0: So let me me follow up on that and say that that the main critique of that film has been that Denzel directing himself uh, was a poor choice because it is a theatrical piece. performances in theater and in theatrical scripts tend to be a bit larger than life because mm-hmm. they're on stage and when you're transferring that to film you need a little bit more subtlety sure and so the critique has been um did denzel needed needed a director to restrain him do you subscribe to that notion or uh, disagree with him
1: no i i didn't find it to be a, a lot of scenery chewing i didn't I, I really enjoyed it actually it was a kind of interesting new side to him that i hadn't seen before i really liked it uh, I mean and he'd done the part before on Broadway and uh uh this felt different. I mean I, I granted he's he, I don't remember what he did it on Broadway but it was probably like 5 6 years ago. He's grown some since then and I think uh, I think it really shows in the performance. I didn't find it to be uh terribly um, terribly loud.
2: I really enjoyed it. That's me. All right. Um, so my plug is definitely for Arrival, um, as sort of, uh, cause, so I saw Arrival sort of November time, um, and then over winter break I made the huge mistake of going to see Passengers, um, <laughs> and there was just no greater sort of juxtaposition between great sci-fi and truly awful sci-fi. <laughs> Um, and Arrival was just really, really smart. It was a uh, female anchored uh, sci-fi, um, which is so very rarely seen. I mean, you know, think of female driven sci-fi, Alien comes to mind, and then we haven't had anything else for about thirty years. Um, and it was it was great how sort of uh, the themes of communication. Um, were not only mirrored in character but also in the sort of macro story Um, and it was just a beautifully well shot film Um, I mean like there's all of those visuals of the the giant pods and the um, mist sort of rolling down off of the mountains and it sort of has that amazingly beautiful visual quality while having a really interesting story that really has something to say and I think that's really what sort of sci-fi has always been about it's been about you know using science and and sort of fantastical ideas to explain something or, or look at something um, very very human um, and it, it just and then you got to Passengers and Passengers was the complete opposite of that it was all it all all flash and no substance. Um, the characters, you know, didn't interact properly. It was male-driven in a very sort of uh, ethically questionable male-driven role. Um, so I think as a breath of fresh air to sci-fi, and hopefully, if Arrival were to win, um, which I sincerely doubt it will because the Academy doesn't go for sci-fi, um, but if it were to win, I. Really hope it would usher in sort of a new wave of sort of, you know, right after you know Ridley Scott was making Blade Runner and Alien, uh, that sort of new era of sci-fi. Um, but it it probably won't win, so uh, we just have to hope that other people are gonna pick it up anyway.
0: Right. I want to come back to a couple of these theme- themes, like the notion of um, uh, theatrical like scripts that uh, Elliot mentioned, American Elliot mentioned, and uh, <laughs> that I have to distinguish somehow. Um, and also, this notion of um, female-driven sci-fi is a really interesting notion. We'll come back to all these, but I want to kind of just get everyone on the record with with what they like. So we'll go to Varsha now. What's uh, what stood out to you as your like the all end all? This is this is the film this year that I want I want to push.
3: I think for me it would be Manchester by the Sea. Um, I was surprised after watching it, and I'm I was surprised after kind of after watching it, how much I liked it. Um, I think before seeing most of the movies, I was like so excited about Lion. Um, Just for the story and the acting and the child is amazing. Uh, But Manchester by the Sea, like his, the main character's background unravels so I think beautifully throughout those little um when he's like reminiscing at the uh where he what is it called when he like gets his like fixing the will and things like that when he was reminiscing about
0: Right, right. The the sort of the flashbacks that come at yeah. trying to
3: the story is what really appeals to me the most in this movie and the quality of the film and um the soundtrack also. I think the soundtrack is what stood out to me a lot. And at first it was... It was only at specific scenes that he used this, like, very... Like, these very classical pieces, and at the end the very kind of, like, gospel-y humming. And I thought that was a really interesting choice, and I thought... Especially after reading more into it, um, behind his reasoning, I thought it was... just worked very well. So,
4: Um, My favorite... I mean it's gotta be Moonlight I, I loved it a lot um, I think it managed well Barry Jenkins specifically uh, managed to take a very plotting drama without a lot of exposition um, and make it something that had like a really solid three act structure but also managed to subvert expectations of film that I have especially personal dramas And um, I mean visually I thought it was beautiful too obviously um, just reading about their DP and the way they manipulated film is really interesting um, I do think that in terms of like animated movies, Kubo and the Two Strings was like amazing. I thought that was super good, and I think that it getting recognition outside of the animated category, like for best special effects, I think that's really cool. Um, and I think honestly, like it could have fit in with best picture winners. I
5: thought it was great. Um, it was one of my favorites for sure. Lucas? Uh, my favorite was also Arrival, um, perhaps for a bit few different reasons. Uh, in the past decade, we've had some sort of mediocre sci-fi come out and you know a lot of the sci-fi has been good, there's been like decent stories um, pretty good visuals of course since we're in this decade of like better, better visuals Um, but what stood out to me about Arrival was everything was purposeful any visual effect, any sort of the cinematography, it was all very purposeful, there was nothing that was wasted and there was nothing that was done without um, some intent and, I mean, that's something that I haven't seen in
0: sci-fi for many, many years So, uh, my favorite favorite movie, Far and Away Manchester by the Sea, uh, and that, that comes from what Elliot mentioned my sort of uh, my sort of taste for uh, film that plays like theater, and I think that the writing in this script, uh, Kenneth Lonergan is, originally comes out of the theater, he wrote a famous play in the 90s, This Is Our Youth and then uh, moved into film, he's done three films now, and each one of them has this play-like quality to it in the sense that uh, with Manchester by the Sea, you have a plot that unfolds with almost no uh, exposition in the sense that you don't have any lines where the characters are just sort of like giving you a few plot points that you need. It it unfolds very organically and without any sort of linear fashion. And that was incredibly attractive to me because it kept it pulled me through the film and it pulled me through uh, some some really dark moments. I mean, it, it, it is a dark... Mood for a film, but then he also um, he also has uh, this wonderful capacity to include humor um, in a way that isn't comic relief. It's definitely it doesn't um, it, it's not like you're in the middle of a tragic scene and then you have a punchline. It's it's humor that that kind of almost almost makes you feel as bad as you already feel, but it's it's a necessary laugh. And I, I really uh, just totally appreciate that. Not to mention the incredible performances which we'll get to because lucas hedges is nominated and, and i really want to talk about that that category uh the, the supporting actor category and then uh, casey affleck's category but uh people are saying la la land is it la la land's got 14 nominations tied for the most all time and i have to say i say i obviously agree with everyone in this room in in, in not selecting la la land as the <laughs> best picture because uh but but why i mean who has who has uh, something to say about that
5: I think it's very overhyped and the advertisement I heard people repeating over and over oh yeah people say it's the best movie of the year and I just think like a lot of it is just
0: echoing what advertising has been just feeding into and I mean that's my opinion but right but but dealing with like the, the in the frame stuff you know specifically because it it is really to distort easy to distort your opinion based on on the hearsay um I'm just wondering cuz we all sort of picked films for their um I guess uh deeper deeper qualities I know you know uh, we spoke about fences and we spoke about, a couple of us spoke about Manchester and arrival but you spoke you know U Elliot spoke about arrival not because of its flashy graphics that's how it contrasted from every sci-fi film. So is it, is it that this is just eye candy and, and that's what, why people are getting behind it? I mean why are people getting behind this film as the obvious favorite? because to me it's a very good film, but it just doesn't make sense to me why it's, it's coming into the Oscars as the obvious favorite. Well, I think
2: La La Land in particular um, plays extremely well in LA, you know, it's it's about LA. Uh, I've heard a lot of Damien Chazelle and, and Justin Herbert talking about how they sort of formed the structure and style about how coming to LA and them feeling sort of disconnected from the LA scene, um, this idea of sort of uh, it's structured in seasons, but there isn't really any seasonal change. Um, So it makes sense from a very L.A. centric, a very sort of Hollywood centric point of view. Um, But uh, I think the issue is, is um, over time, people have gotten very, very aware that the Academy picks films for best picture that speak into its own experience. You know, actors pick films about actors directors pick films about you know tortured artistic souls Um, and La La Land has this sort of trifecta of um, well actually sort of four great points where it's 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 about LA it's about art um, but it's also got great music and great visuals so you know anyone working in composing can look at La La Land and say ah. This is just a great score. Anyone working in costuming or anyone working in visuals can sort of see those sort of popping colours that sort of hark back to, you know, what got everyone interested in film in the first place, um, which was, you know, this sort of golden age of Hollywood. Um, And so it plays almost directly into the Academy's hands um, in a way that's a little too obvious, I think, for anyone who isn't in that L.A. scene, isn't in that sort of film scene, um, and doesn't have that sort of connection to old-age Hollywood. Um, So I I think it was a fantastic film. It's just no one likes to see a home run when they know it's always going to be a home run.
0: Right, and I mean, I I don't think we should forget that there there are some extremely valid critiques of it. Uh, I know, I know, Elliot, you were mentioning, uh, mentioning some stuff when we spoke the other day uh, that you thought about the film. Do you mind uh, weighing in on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm
0: <laughs> I'm uh,
1: no fan of the film. I, I went into it and scene one, I'm like, okay, well, time to buckle in because uh, <laughs> this is a doozy. Uh, Ryan Gosling looks at his feet the entire time he's dancing. I mean, there's no skill there. And his singing I can't. I can't speak for that either. And Emma Stone. I mean, it's it. The idea that she's having a rough time in Hollywood uh, makes it very hard for me to get into. First of all, um, and I don't think. I, I I don't know. I just I was I was fairly unfazed by it. And I I, I like his work, the director, Chazelle. Uh, I think uh, Whiplash was my favorite film of 2014. Um, mm-hmm. But here, I feel like this is an homage with and without bringing anything else to the table. Um, I think it's got that old, the star is born storyline, it's got the struggling musician storyline, and nothing else is brought to the table. There's some interesting stuff talking about how does jazz stay relevant, but they pretty much toss John Legend to the wayside um, halfway through the film, and that storyline is never touched on again. And then, you know, they go through that whole American in Paris homage, you know, three-quarters of the way through, and I'm like, I couldn't care less about this. I couldn't <laughs> care l- I mean, you've just stolen. I mean, it's, 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 it, you've stolen everything from a, a far yeah. superior film. So, right. I, I, I don't know. I, I think there's something to be said. I, I like the visual of people jumping out of their cars in the traffic in L.A. and dancing, but, I mean, everybody knows about L.A. traffic, Right. I mean, I, I just...
0: I. <laughs> well, well the, the thing that struck me about the first number is how uh, bored I was in the sense that, like, visually it was super appealing. You have all these colorful, um, colorful co- costumes and people dancing around, and uh, the camera work is really interesting. It, it's kind of gliding along the freeway. Um, but the song itself kind of was a weak opening to me it, it, you know like <laughs> I, I, I think
1: all the songs have zero <laughs> substance it's like three words a a, a stanza and then it's you know, another day of sun oh, okay you know hammer it in hammer it in why yeah. don't you you
0: know i just i,
1: I couldn't care less about this movie right. i'm sorry right. i just i don't i'm not interested in two white people trying to get in touch with jams i'm really not i'm not interested in it i'm not interested in it
4: yeah yeah i mean i thought it was cute i mean i went to go see it with my mom thinking that she would love it but like she came out of it and was like what the hell was that like she hated it too and i think that speaks to the fact that movies about hollywood like you were saying um they're not super accessible to the everyday viewer and i i think that in this day and age, like, filmmakers can't afford to not appeal to a wide variety of people. And that's why my mom preferred Hidden Figures over La La Land, because, you know, I feel like the majority of American viewers did, too. Um, just because La La Land had nothing to offer for people who are not, you know, able-bodied, good-looking white people in Hollywood trying to make it in the acting world. Um, yeah, I just wasn't a fan, but the music was banging, honestly, I thought. So, whatever.
0: Interesting, because I feel like everyone picks up on a different aspect uh, that they like or dislike, and, and we've got... The, the range of criticism regarding just the music and the dancing itself is so wide. You have people who think it's uh, you know worthy of Broadway uh, if it were to be, or if it were to be adapted and then you have other people who, who say that the whole problem with the movie was the music and the dancing um, so I, th- I think it, it would be worthy
2: of Broadway because you know we've had a couple of Broadway. Some truly terrible things have been put to Broadway. <laughs> um, <laughs> that, that's not a great compliment. compliment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, yeah I, I really like all of the the music, um, and you know, not not a dancer, so I was, you know, the fact that anyone can move their feet was pretty impressive. <laughs> oh, me. I'm I'm right there with yeah. you. <laughs> um, but I think they did a a very interesting thing, and it's it's something I've I've picked up um, in as a sort of recent trend, which is really sort of subduing the voices in the mix um, and so I think they were going for this very natural form of, of singing which is why I think a lot of people picked up on the fact that Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone didn't sound like they should um, and it's because we're very used to sort of Broadway belting all of the words out um, and even in that opening number I mean some of the words just get lost in that mix right. Um, and I think they were going for a very sort of natural sort of everyday quality, but that sort of, it didn't chime with, you know, the fact that everyone was wearing yeah. primary colours, everything was spectacularly lit. Um, it, you were watching Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone on screen, like the, the aim of going for a, a more natural mix and, and sort of imagining people singing to themselves um, didn't quite... Uh, mesh with the idea that you were watching this big um, hark back to old Hollywood.
0: Right. Um, I, I want to stick up for the mo- movie for a split second because I, I didn't find it atrocious. I mean, mm. I, I found it to be uh, you know a pleasurable two hours that got blown way out of proportion by the critics for for many of the reasons that you were uh, describing, Elliot. And <clears throat> I think the thing that was valuable to me was that I showed up very wary of it because I. Uh, at least in my in my time in, in theater have always um, kind of had a proclivity towards drama over over musicals right and I thought there was a good balance in the movie between music and drama and I think that the casting decisions were good may have been off on account of the uh, dancing and singing capabilities of the performers but on, on the dramatic scenes I thought they were wonderful like there's that scene where um, they uh, you know, he surprises her with, with dinner and they have the... It's a candle at dinner and all of a sudden they get in this big blow-up argument, which is nothing novel as far as writing goes. I mean, in, in a, the course of any relationship in a film, that's going to occur. But I thought that the the performances, the intensity of the performances in that scene um, were were my favorite, hands down, my favorite part of the movie. Uh, but before before we move on from La La Land, because I think we've spent enough time uh, <laughs> getting on it, I, I want to ask people real quick... Um, just one take about the ending, because that's also been a controversial aspect. I know, uh, I know that, that some people have found the ending to be the most, you know, marvelous, marvelous surprise, and other people have have found it bland for a movie that was supposed to be so thrilling and exciting. Um, does anyone have any strong thoughts on, on that ending?
3: I feel like you, with the movie, as you watch it, you kind of expect there to be a happy ending, and you. Expect So you're expecting them to be together, even though, like, halfway through, they, like, go, I'm gonna go to Paris or whatever, but, like, some, I don't know, I, like, expected them to, like, figure their dreams out and also be together somehow, so I kind of felt like the ending was their attempt to switch it up, really, Mm -hmm. and I think it, like, it did have meaning as far as, like, things don't always work out, follow your dream, like, you gotta make a decision, like, I don't know if that was, like, the point, but... I just kind of felt like it was a little bit weak in right. their attempt to just like make it different
0: right.
2: yeah I I thought it, it worked really well on the level of um, you know sort of presenting this idea that and, and that entire final montage is what movies tell us mm-hmm. the sort of arc should be, it's everyone ends up together in a, a sort of beautiful way and, and sort of presenting this idea that not every relationship works like that you know the movies tell us the lies that we wanna, um, we want to tell to ourselves. Um, but my problem was that the montage just took too long and was too enamoured with itself. Um, you know, I, I, you you're sort of watching this montage, um, and anyone that's watched a film ever can at least identify one reference made um, in that montage. Um, and it's it's that that montage is is classic sort of, um, you know, it it felt sort of unworthy of, of Chazelle, really because it felt like something you make as soon as you get out of film school and you're like yes I've I've seen Eisenstein I've seen American in Paris I can put all of these things into a montage right. um, and it just got bogged down in all of that right. um, and it it just I, I got lost in the montage because. Um, it wasn't showing me a story. It was showing me references.
0: Right. I, I think um, the nice thing about what the movie's saying in, that last, in that last, those last moments, right after the montage, I mean, is, uh, you know, I, I think just the notion that every Hollywood movie says something like either you end up happily ever after or you end up broken. And I think what this said is you can end up without the relationship working out Yet it can still have been something uh, good for good for your life, you know, a, a, a happy memory that can exist like that. And there, there's always that alternate reality that, that haunts us. Um, but you know, ultimately, I think the thing about the movie is just that when you know years from now, if we look back at Damien Chazelle, who's sure to to create a series of uh, more attractive movies in the future, you know, I don't think we're going to look back at La La Land and say, "Oh yeah, that that's the movie that I associate with Damien Chazelle." I think we're going to look. At least out of the two movies, recently we're going to look at Whiplash and go, wow, that, that one was incredible. Um, but uh, so so let's move on, uh, move on from La La Land. I just thought, I thought it was important we address that because nobody in their in their opening, uh, you know, best favorite favorite one, uh, mentioned La La Land. Um, I want to move on to Moonlight because this was another one that got a ton of attention. First time director uh, Barry Jenkins or first time feature director. Uh, I, I don't know if he had done other things. And uh, I know, Annalise, you said that this was your favorite movie. So do you want to sort of a- elaborate on why you you like this movie and why you think this one should win the Best Picture?
4: Sure. Um, well, actually, I think my reasoning for why it should win is like a direct comparison to La La Land anyway. Okay. Um, I think if you compare it to something that's being lauded as revolutionary for bringing back the musical, it's no contest. Like, Moonlight is telling such a real story about people who are affected by literally systems and institutions that oppress them daily, whereas compared to La La Land, there's nothing revolutionary about that. And I think being able to make political art that's accessible to so many people is an amazing thing, um, and to make it so beautiful and so well-written and with so many good performances, like I think it was just perfect for me because I love personal dramas, I love um, you know political messages in films, um, and
0: I think it, it just did great on all those fronts, really. Interesting. So I... I have an, uh, an issue with the film on account of maybe some of, some of the performances and the continuity of the three segments of the film, right? Because um, this is a film that's broken up into three chapters, um, Chiron when he's young, uh, when he's a boy, when he's a teenager, and when he's a grown man. And I just felt that going from one to two, especially to three, between two and three, um, you have this drastic change um, but they failed to, I think, adequately address the source of that change, and that leaves me feeling like Chiron in part three is not the Chiron we saw in the earlier parts of the film. Uh, and, and so I, I, I felt like almost two, you know, part two was its own self-contained little film. Like, I thought the, you know, if you made a short out of part two, I would have enjoyed it, uh, uh, I would have enjoyed it tremendously. But there was there was a certain discontinuity, especially with the important characters of Part One almost disappearing by the time you get to Part Two. Did did anyone else feel that? Or, Um, well, for me, I personally
1: really I I love this film. I think um, Mahershala Ali, who plays Quan, is frankly, if he doesn't get the Academy Award for Best Supporting Actor, (laughs) I've lost faith in the Academy. Um, I like. The structure, these kind of this kind of portmanteau quality to it, the the vignettes, Um, and I like that there is such a dramatic change between two and three because I think this is a film that requires more than one viewing, and I think having seen the film a few times now, one and two really do inform three, and three informs one and two, and there's there's just this. Three is so much... It's it's almost like a My Dinner with Andre situation where you've just got these two people sitting around talking for, like, 30 minutes. Right. And we're kind of there with... Um, oh, what's his name? The, uh, Not Chiron, but the... Kevin? Kevin, yeah. I felt like I was there with Kevin trying to figure him out now. I, I like that we don't get everything about Chiron at this point in his life. I like that we... That we, you know, get it through the conversation. And there's, I mean, I've never been at the edge of my seat like that in a movie. I mean, I was like, "What's gonna kiss him already?" You know. I mean, it was just like I, I, I was just, I was, I was so taken with it. And Barry Jenkins has has done. I mean, he's his background is in theater. He's written some really incredible plays. Um, and I think I think he really transitioned well to film. I think it's an incredible movie. uh, And the performances, I mean, they can't be beat. Um, Is it Naomi Harris who plays the mother? Mother. I mean, come on.
0: So her performance was undoubtedly really good, right? And uh, uh, Maher Ali is that? Mahershala Ali. Shalali. Ali. Absolutely wonderful. I agree with you on that account, and I think Janelle Monae. Uh, Janelle Monet was was stellar in both both films she was in, in Hidden Figures and in this film. Mm-hmm. Um, the the problem that I have with the mother's character, as it's written, is that it it appears to me as a as a stock character. Um, the the stock drug addict uh, drug addict family member and there's so much the, the that's left for the audience to assume about the relationship between the mother and Chiron. Uh so you have a lot of these scenes you know the scene where uh, she's begging him for money right mm-hmm. um, that's that's bound to happen when you have that relation you know uh, the the drug addict family member and the and the main character with whom you sympathize but I didn't think that the 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 relationship in part one between the mother and the child was developed to the point where where you, you wanted her to, to get better in any way. You know, the, those sorts of relations in films seem to work when you think there's something to redeem about that character. And I don't think that they built up enough for her to, uh, enough to redeem within her to make me feel sympathetic for, for her, um, you know, mean, drug unexpected. Maybe you
3: don't need to. In the first part, he, as a child, he's still figuring out. Like, he, I mean, he knows, like, he asks Juan, like, do you sell drugs to my mom? Um, does my mom do drugs And he's so like I think that first chapter is him slowly coming to terms with it or like maybe he hasn't yet I don't think by the end of the first chapter he has come to terms with it and so I think their depiction of the mom is you're seeing it through like his point of view entirely and that's maybe why they don't develop it maybe they don't Mm -hmm. want you to sympathize with her in the first chapter and that's why you have that end scene in the third one when he goes to visit her Mm -hmm. so I think that's kind of some closure
1: there I mean, I feel.
2: Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I, I. Also, what really stood out to Moonlight um, for me, um, possibly more than any other film in this category, but also that I've seen, is it was so much about, you know, Sharon is such a quiet character. It's all about what he doesn't say, what he wants to say. But at the same time, there were so many things that were unheard or unseen. You know, there was sort of audio going on that you could clearly tell was beyond the scope of the frame. But we were sort of locked in that frame. Or the bit where she uh, shouts at, um, at Chiron and you just don't hear what she says. Um, and it's it's so much about what is left out in conversation, so much about what is left out when you consider one person's point of view. Um, so much of what is left out in uh, sort of society and who gets left out in society uh, and how they deal with it um, so I think uh, it was it it was such a personal story that you you really didn't need to go into detail about the mum because all you needed to see was sort of how she interacted and, and there was so much beyond that that you had to sort of infer from how they relate, and it—it it, it is just snapshots of someone's life, um, and so this this idea that we didn't have this sort of linear progression, this standard narrative, um, was, I think, so important to the sort of innovation of the film, um, both both sort of in writing and, and sort of in terms of the message that it it got out. Right,
0: I think that uh, what you see. It I, like as a theme in in some of these films this year is this notion of, of um, putting it putting a little bit more on the audience these very literary scripts like we were talking about before and that's what I want to move into next including this Moonlight discussion we're having with maybe some films like Fences which is actually based off of a play and then uh, and Manchester which which we mentioned had this play like quality to it and I, I think that the 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 similarity between because what, what I did love about Moonlight was this notion of uh, an extremely quiet and repressed character and all of the inferences that you have to make uh, about him based on the way he relates to other, other folks. And that's the same thing that transfers over into Manchester, where you have this sullen uh, janitor. You have no idea what's wrong with him. Really, the first ten minutes of the film are, let's watch this character in his normal life. And uh, and you know there's something wrong with him, but you don't know what. And the way they let those details dribble out over the course uh, of—I think really the first hour of the film—you don't find out what's wrong with him until the first, uh, until an hour of the film is up—is so nice. Um, And uh, I think that's what puts these three films in contrast to to uh, a film like La La Land, is that um, there's there's a real. Artful suspense to getting to know the characters that isn't just handed to you, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm.
3: In some ways, do you feel like that occurs in Lion? Let's say you don't know what happens, right? You, we watch this little boy for at least for like I don't know how long is the movie? Like, it, it, yeah. Oh, a, a long time of the movie we don't know and the whole like he's going through these traumatic experiences and I mean we do meet his older self obviously and we meet like who he is as a person Um, but I and I wouldn't say it's as suspenseful it's just definitely like kind of blocked into two right but I do think it is interesting how much time they spend on just him and these like crazy events that he's going through and um I guess in some ways like you are where you're waiting, really, to see how all of it affects him, to see who he becomes. Um, and then, I mean, when he goes to Australia, like, he becomes, like, westernized, obviously. Um, mm-hmm. His life changes entirely, but then you kind of wait till later when he has, like, these flashbacks and, like, he starts getting very anxious about finding his mother and stuff. So right. I think in some ways, like... It kind of relates as in you're kind of still waiting for something from their past to play out.
0: Right. Well, th- what's really interesting is that in that movie, the two halves of it. As a child, he goes from being the protected. Um, so his brother is uh, is is protecting him, mm-hmm. and that's how the movie begins. Of course, he gets lost, and then, um, we see him sort of trying to find his way to a safe place for you know, the, the, the remaining part of that portion of the film. But he goes from being the protected in the beginning of the film to being the protector of his brother, uh, his adopted brother, in the later half of the film. And that's very evidently uh, you know, something that traces back to, to his childhood, um, even though it's an influence in when he's, when he's b- below five years old. Um, all of the you see all of those influences playing out in the latter half of the film, and I really like that.
3: That relationship with his brother is something I wanted them to go into so much more depth. Right. Like, that could have been a movie by itself. Right. You honest.
0: mean the the adopted brother. the adopted
3: brother? Yeah. That. I I just I wanted to see more of him. I wanted to see more of their dynamics, um, and unfortunately, we didn't. I didn't see as much of it as I would have liked to.
0: Right. But right. Uh, did Did anyone else have have strong feelings about uh, Lion as a as a film?
2: I thought Lion was just incredibly beautiful. Um, Yeah, I think it it didn't stand out so much on the sort of narrative end. It was it was very sort of uh, start to finish linear, um, which which put it into contrast with sort of Manchester and Moonlight, with these sort of very uh, innovative uh, narrative structures. Um, But sort of getting back to particularly as a as a reaction to sort of Oscar's so white um, this this new generations of uh, generation of um, best picture nominees are really all about telling stories that usually wouldn't get told you know you don't hear a lot of films being made about a black gay man you don't hear a lot of films made about um, you know uh, the three black women that helped launch a man into space you don't hear about um, kids from India refinding their roots Um, and I thought I really liked that first half of line that was just so deftly managed to sort of toe the line between presenting the sort of immense natural and human beauty of India but also the intense forms of sort of Poverty and sort of language barriers that exist
0: within India—that is perhaps the most eloquent way I can think to describe the first half of that movie. I mean, um, and, and I think I want to expound upon this notion of of what the um, reaction to Oscars so white has been, because I think that's the most salient feature of this year's uh, uh, group of Oscar films. And and so, what are in in everyone's eyes here? What are the different ways that these films? Uh, deal deal with all of these notions of race, of social class, and so forth. Uh, h- how does one contrast from the other?
3: Honestly, okay, let's say La, La Land or Manchester by the Sea had were all people of color. Some white people here and there, but not the main characters. That movie would become they o- overcame these trials and tribulations because, of, regardless of the like you know because of this this I'm not wording this properly n- no matter how much oppression they face because of their s- color of their skin they are still you know they've overcome all this or maybe that's telling the story of the hardships they face because of it but I think that the fact that they're championing them because of their race are definitely important stories to be told I wonder when we will move past you know they have overcome this but like just having people of color in normal films not about them overcoming whatever struggles because of their race but like just them doing whatever the, like whatever that other film is about and they also happen to be black or yeah
2: but no i i, I definitely agree with you and and that's particularly why uh, i'm so much more of a fan of moonlight over hidden figures um i liked hidden figures um but as a maths major, you know, they could have done with a better consultant. <laughs> um, and, and Taraji P. Henson was fantastic, um, as was Janelle Monáe and... Um, was it Octavia Spencer? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it, it lapsed into uh, a sort of traditional, um, sort of... Uh, almost saccharine sort of overcoming sort of obstacles Uh, the moment where Kevin Costner in all his white savior glory (laughs) comes through with a baseball bat and knocks down the the colored bathroom sign uh, was just so overblown for me whereas I felt Moonlight was so well um, so well paced um, that you never saw moments um, where you sort of thought you know there was never this, um, yeah. Like you, you could potentially see a rewrite of Moonlight where he was, like, white and gay, um, and obviously things would have to change. But you could sort of see a similar story taking place.
0: I, I find that Hidden Figures was. I had a very difficult time appreciating that movie as. Uh, As Varsha knows, we saw it together. And, like, (laughs) to me, it was totally uh, unrealistic in the sense that they they faced these obstacles, these, these obstacles of just overt racism, and, like, within a scene... All of the obstacles were taken out of their way. (laughs) You know, like in one scene, she walks in and and she's you know drenched in rain, and the manager's like, "Well, why, why, why are you like this?" And she's like, "Well, I had to go to the bathroom like a a half a mile away." And he's like, "Okay, I'm going to go take a crowbar and knock down the sign." And that's just totally an unrealistic portrayal. But there's also uh, it it was trying too hard to be to make a political statement. Like there are um, there are there's this scene, for example, when they go to the library. She goes to the library with her kids, and uh, they get kicked out of the library and there's there's that does not contribute it does not advance the plot in any way, um, but it 's just like another example of of racism to you know to build build up their the political message that they 're pushing whereas with fences um, I think that the notions of race, racism are a lot more subtle, and the what it comments on is the notion of intergenerational racism, the legacy of racism, because the main character sort of um, you know, was forced to uh, leave his home when he was 14 years old because of um, the, the many different influences, one of which was race that caused his father to, uh, you know, his father was poor and um, uh, an alcoholic and beat him. And it was, uh, it was talking about socioeconomic class, but how that inter- interlaces with race, right? And then that, genera- that uh, legacy gets passed on to the main character, And what you see in the three children that are produced by the end of the film is the way that they either overcome that obstacle, the way they get bogged down by it, um, or the hope that they might have. And, of course, I'm referencing the um, kid who goes into the military um, the child who ends up uh, in, in jail for stealing, just like his father, and the, the young child who, who's sort of yet to be determined, her legacy is yet to be determined, right? And, and so I think the way it deals with these issues uh, of intertwined like, racial and socioeconomic class is much more gentle and artful than was Hidden Figures, which is essentially screaming at you uh, about what it's trying to say for two hours.
4: Yeah, I think this is an interesting slate of Best Picture nominees because, like you were saying, um, back to Marge's point, like, art can be political, race is, like, inherently political, and then when you have, all like, half of the Best Picture nominees about characters of color especially, it's like, oh my god, wow, there's stories about people of color, this is amazing, and... We need to listen to their struggle, but, like, what if you just had Mahershala Ali play Casey Affleck's character in Manchester by the Sea, mm-hmm. right? Like, can you do that without making a commentary about race or class? Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you can, but, like, I don't know, Barry Jenkins had this quote about how he just wanted to make a movie. Like, yeah. it, like politicizing creators or actors or whatever is really difficult, but, like, I think in some cases it's necessary, but I don't mm-hmm. know, I mean, it's, it's a really weird balance. It's strange.
0: All right, so so to come come into the, the final stretch here, I want to go, we already know what we all think should win. I want to go with a rapid-fire round of what has the best chance of upsetting La La Land, since I know we all have an interest in this. So uh, we'll, we'll go around the table here, and uh, in, in any given category that you want to talk about, you know, best picture, and, and if there's any other co- category you want to talk about, what has the best chance of pulling off an upset. Uh, so I'll start and say that I think the best chance of pulling off an upset in the um, lead actor category, as much as I am a fan of Casey Affleck's performance, is Denzel. Uh, I think if, if Denzel were to take that award, I don't think that would be uh, a, a poor choice for the Academy. Uh, and then as far as the best picture goes, um, as much as I personally love Manchester, I don't think that's gonna, what's going to unseat La La Land. Uh, I think the thing that has the best chance to unseat La La Land is, uh, is perhaps Moonlight. Um, that's that's definitely got uh, got everything that people want in, in the best picture uh, hmm. picture film. Um, Elliot? Yeah, I think that's really interesting um, I think
1: that's kind of like emblematic of <laughs> where we're at culturally with film right now is you've got this film like La La, La Land and this film like Moonlight and I think I, I mean, I'm rooting for Moonlight in every category, and if if we can if we can knock La La Land off the list, if they get 14 nominations, great. But if they don't win any of them, you know, that's a that's Christmas in my <laughs> book. So, uh, no, I, I, I'll say this: I don't think I don't think they're going to have any chances in any of the acting categories. I think Emma Stone and Ryan Gosling are on there just because they needed a place filled. Um, I think, frankly, uh, they'll have luck in the. Uh, technical categories, but uh, I think acting, they're going to get front. And I think as far as film is concerned, I think Moonlight will pull through, if any.
3: I think it's surprising that both you guys say Moonlight. Um, not anything to do with like the film itself, but the fact that it's like so much smaller than Manchester by the Sea, as far as like the media around it, and also right. like I think the production itself, it just seems like a much smaller film.
0: Right. Well, I, well I, so the thing is, I think it got a ton of media just a little bit too early for Oscar season. Um, right. I, I, oh, yeah. Last... I, I remember hearing about it a long time ago, and then there's just been this lull where the media isn't playing it up as much. Um, and I think, to some extent, the same thing has happened with Manchester, is that in, in like, December, you had a great round of press for Manchester. And, uh, I mean, I was really enjoying that. I, I went and saw the movie a, a couple times because I loved it so much. But then you haven't heard much about it since... Uh, and especially because Hidden Figures was a late release um and Hacksaw I think Hacksaw might have come out later too that, that those all got their round of press a little later closer to Oscar season but what's your uh, so what's your uh pick for for Unseating La La Land
3: um I think I don't know I, do, I feel like I don't trust the Academy to choose a story like Moonlight
2: mm-hmm.
3: I love it mm-hmm. but I would be very surprised um I feel like that's so progressive for them. (laughs) Um, So I would, I I want to say, I want to say Manchester. I think, well, maybe because I've been like around you for the last two weeks (laughs) and I've been hearing so much about
0: it. Every time we walk out, (laughs) every every time we walk out of a movie, I go, "Oh, it was great, but it wasn't Manchester." (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. I think that's kind of like playing into a bit
3: there.
4: But for now, like that's, I guess, what I'm sticking with. Um, yeah I think Moonlight has the, the Capacity to upset La La Land I don't think it will happen though um, I think Denzel is more, most likely to w- Would be more likely to upset Casey Affleck um, For best original song I hope those troll boys Upset La La Land troll? That's just a Timberlake song oh Trolls <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hope he takes right. the Oscar That's all I can say yeah. Oh yeah so they yeah. can
3: consider like Really any Yeah film on.
4: Or
5: so, best. do it. <laughs> um, so similarly, I also think Moonlight, um, deserves to get Best Picture over La La Land. Um, but of course, since the Academy practices instant runoff voting, it's not going to happen. If you aren't familiar, what happens is, um, each member of the Academy ranks their choices for voting. So they take everyone's top choice first, and they organize, um, the distribution, and then they take the few films at the very bottom that get very few votes at the top, and then they take those persons' second vote. The way the Academy's set up right now is they award films that have broad support, which La La Land has broad support instead of um, very enthusiastic support. People, people argue about, oh, like oh this part was bad, this part was good, etc. But people over are like, oh yeah, even we, we're like, okay, it's a generally good movie, even though some of us didn't like certain aspects of it. We probably would put it up in our, one of our top three or top four for voting, speculating. But that's what the Academy will
0: do even more, because they are, they're show people, they love... To vote for right. what speaks to them, right? Yeah. Do you think Do you think that that there should be some gradient of uh, taking in into account enthusiasm for a film? So, say the Academy uh, rates rates on a scale of one to ten, and uh, you know the film with perhaps the the highest average uh, wins, which sort of would take into account one's enthusiasm for a film, uh, rather than just well, I was really enthusiastic about such and such a film, but my second choice was kind of okay.
5: And yeah, if there was some method by which you could gauge enthusiasm accurately, as far as support for a film, that might be a much better uh, metric. Because I think a lot, there would be a lot of it very enthusiastic supporters of Moonlight, for example. Um, and if you were to take that into account, Moonlight would perhaps win, but. Yeah.
0: So, so you know, for me, a lot of people are critical, well, the, you know, the awards shows are so self-congratulatory. And ultimately, I mean, what wins and doesn't win, I just think, like, the time is a much better judge than is the Academy. And, and like we were saying about La La Land in, within Damien Chazelle's own canon, you know, I think that time is going to say that Whiplash was, was better than La La Land. And in the same way, you know, it, it's almost arbitrary... Uh, uh, Based on what you're discussing here, you know, what, what actually ends up winning. Um, that said, I mean, I, I, I like the Oscars. I do like the Oscars. I like watching it because I, I, I was mentioning to Elliot on the way over here. It kind of feels one of the f- like one of the few times left where we're all on the same cultural page, you know, because um, now everyone's, you know, binging the shows on their own time. And so there's no notion like, hey, did you catch this episode of, uh, of you know, Seinfeld last night? It's... Um, you know, uh, you know, hey, did you have you gotten around to binge watching this yet? Oh no, I haven't done that yet. And so so aside from the Super Bowl with which I mean, come on, yeah. who cares? Um, <laughs> aside from the Super Bowl, uh, you know this is, this is a really nice moment for everyone to be on the same page looking at, at the same thing. Um, anyways, well thank, thank, thank you to everyone for, for being here today and sharing your opinions uh, regarding the films. We encourage you to watch the Oscars. And uh, until the next time, we will keep looking for the common thread.